Oh, it's great to be with you this morning. I've looked forward to being here and to uh, sharing in the community of Christ that meets in this place. My name is Chopper Wilson. I am the district coach for the Baptist General Conference of Canada. And we are so thankful for the place that New Life has in the Baptist General Conference of Canada. Um, we are very thankful for your financial support that makes it possible to be supporting churches across Canada, but also for the engagement of this community in that fellowship, in that conference. Uh, Pastor Rusty, he serves on our board. Julie Robinson, she serves on our board. She, she's got quite the task trying to keep all those pastors in check, which is not an easy thing to do, but she does a great job of it. Yeah. She does, she does a great job at it. Um, and your staff and your people engage in the different opportunities that we have for people to come along and to be supported by the BGC. So we are very thankful for that. I have the opportunity to be supporting pastors in our district. So in the central district, we have 22 churches, and that's everything from Thunder Bay over to Erickson, Manitoba. And so every church is different. Every church is unique. Sometimes it's supporting the leadership team. Sometimes the pastor, sometimes coming alongside, being able to be part of the whole faith community. So it's always something different that's going on, and I really enjoy that. Then across the country of Canada, we have about 120 churches, and I'm involved there as well, connecting with the other coaches from our different districts and with our executive director to see, okay, how do we, how do we support uh, our churches? What, what do they need now from us? A couple things we're working on is one, to help our pastors connect better with one another. Because nobody understands better the challenges a pastor's engaging than another pastor. And so really working to help kind of strengthen that connection, that, that peer connection that they can have with one another. Also, we're entering a, a series of conversations and discussions about how do we support the church in the midst of such tremendous changes going on in our society as Canada. What can we do as a conference and as a, as a group of like-minded churches to support one another as we all navigate our way through those changes. So those are conversations that are going on, things that are happening. And uh, see, in a couple weeks, we'll be meeting in Niagara Falls for uh, the churches that want to come, and we'll be having some conversations and discussions there on a national scale. So that's some of the stuff that I get the privilege to do. And another thing is to be with you here this morning. So I was very thankful for the call uh, to say, hey, would you be willing to come out at some point? I said, absolutely. So let's, let's do that. Now, I do have to say, before we go any further, and this got me the first service too, like those fishing poles are laying right here in front of me, and so they just they keep grabbing my attention, you know, I keep gravitating to that. So if you see me glancing down there, and all of a sudden the words aren't making sense, I've lost myself in thought. So, but with that, let's pray, and we're going to uh, jump into the message this morning. Father, thank you for your work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, for your relentless work that draws us to be more like your Son. I pray that as we are together encouraged through your words, these ancient words, that we might better reflect him to our friends, our neighbors, and to one another in this space. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the message we're going to look at this morning is called the maturing option. And I say it's a maturing option because we know age is not. Right? Age is going to happen. It's regardless of what you try to do, age is impacting all of us. We're all going through it. Maturing is in a different category. There's no guarantee that maturing is going to take place. As a matter of fact, what's the, what occasion comes to your mind if I say, can you tell me about an interaction that you would qualify as a, mm, 
I was interacting with an immature individual. Does anything come to your mind if it's like, wow, yeah, when an immature interaction? Yeah, unfortunately, you may be on the other side of that where someone is saying, yes, I can tell you specifically, and I had to tell this person, you know, you should grow up. Or you may be saying, yes, I remember with this one conversation, somebody told me I should grow up. I had no idea what they were talking about. You know, that's, maturity is a frustrating thing in that sense, right? Because it's like, well, it's really hard to pin it down. We know it when we experience it, um, but it's really hard to pin down what, what is immaturity. And to be fair, there are a lot of aspects of maturity, right? There's, there's social maturity, there's mental, physical emotional, all kinds of different maturities that we could be kind of zeroing in on. As a matter of fact, latest studies show that typically, typically, a lady becomes emotionally mature at the age of 32. That's, that's not me. That's not just guessing at it. That's statistical research, and that, that's the average. Men, on the other hand, what, what would you think? Would you think a man becomes more emotionally mature at a much earlier age or a little bit later age? Anyway, that's not much question there, right? Well, guys, just to, to kill the suspense, men, according to the same study, men typically become emotionally mature at 43. That's an 11-year spread. Sorry, ladies, you have to deal with stunted development. But... Even if they're off by just a little bit, you know, it's still quite a difference. The encouraging thing is to, that, to realize that on a mental maturity note, some of the same studies say mentally becoming mature is pretty consistent for humanity. That happens at age 30. So I, I'm not saying anything here, and this isn't really part of the message, but if you're interacting with somebody under the age of 30, according to these studies, uh, they're not quite mentally mature yet. But uh, and I don't know how they determine that, but I'm just saying, that's what the studies say. You know, we are in a society that, in some respects, is kind of frowned on maturity now. There's actually a phobia, gerascophobia, which is the fear of growing up. It's in the books. It's actually, whoa, people are trying to avoid this growing up, this maturing process. In 1983, they came out, the psychiatric um, uh, studies came out and they determined a new syndrome that was in place in 1983. At least they identified it in 1983. And they called it the Peter Pan syndrome because it was just as the story of Peter Pan, the fear of maturing and taking on responsibilities. So it's, it's in the books. It's a thing that people want to avoid maturity. They fear that kind of maturity. Well, this passage that we're going to look at today in the book of James, this hits spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity head on. James makes it very clear of what his expectations are when he's talking to a group of followers of Jesus Christ. My hope is that as we go into these verses and we look at them this morning, that whether you have been a follower of Jesus Christ for years and years, or maybe you're someone here today and you're saying, you know, I haven't really made that decision yet. I'm still watching the community. I'm still looking, still considering what I do. i trust that our encouragement as we look at these will be to hear the words of James and saying, this is the kind of a mature spiritual community I want to be a part of. And I want to have my place in there that I can be contributing by bringing my spiritual maturity in 
to this community. So I trust that's an encouragement that we will all walk away with. So let's read uh, these first eight verses in the book of James, and then we're going to have to start taking a better look at them. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joys, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Father, I pray that as we go into these words, that you might impact our hearts, that we might take away things that will impact our behavior as we go from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's important to realize first, as this letter is written, this is a different book in the New Testament. This is actually the first book or the first letter that was circulated in the early church. They're saying somewhere between 45 and 48 AD is when this letter went out. And it genuinely is a letter. It's five chapters. You can sit down, you can read it in one reading, and it has a a very consistent flow to it of that of being a letter. Not like some of the other books of the Old Testament that are more like theological developments or presenting arguments. This was genuinely a letter written to these different believers. And it's written to a grouping of believers, but not a specific geographic church. It's written to a group of followers. So, who wrote the letter? This James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine that it might have presented some challenges growing up and some different psychological things to work through. But this guy was Jesus' little brother, one of his little brothers. That's this James. Now you might be sitting there thinking, wait a second. I remember in the Gospels that weren't Jesus' brothers kind of skeptics and, yeah, no, you know, you go do your own thing. We... We, we were in the same house with you. you. Right, you're exactly right. That's in the Gospels, and you can go to John and see that, to where they said, you know what, you just go ahead, go on to Jerusalem, make yourself known, maybe they'll believe who you are, but we don't believe it. That's this group. James is one of those brothers that said. But something happens in James's life, because by this point, James is considered one of the pillars of the church of Jerusalem. The very first church was formed in Jerusalem. James was an anchor point, a foundation for the church. He was a beloved pastor of the church. That's this James. Interesting insight. You can go into 1 Corinthians, where it's taught, 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about, you know, Christ came back from the grave and he, he started to show himself to different groups of people, to the disciples, to the, to the followers, to all these different groups, so, you know, uh, large, large amounts of people. But it only names in specific a few people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And he appeared to James, this James. The resurrected Christ was face to face with this James. I'm pretty sure that had something to do with him becoming the foundational, the anchor point for the early church. So anyway, that's the person writing this letter. And he's writing from a pastoral heart, a friendship kind of connection with the people. These people had been in the true church in Jerusalem. They were there, but now they were scattered. They were Jews. It's, it, 
They're, they're going out into different places. And they're being scattered because the persecution of the church was just going through the roof. Right? By this time, by this time, the stoning of Stephen had happened. Pentecost happened. The church had formed. Stephen was stoned, and it was kind of declared open season on those followers of Jesus Christ. And so these Jewish believers were fleeing that. Most likely, they had experienced great loss already, either through friends or possessions or anything. And they're going into different communities. Places that James knows they will continue to face oppression and challenges and trials. That's who he's writing to, and that's the heart that he's writing from. It had to be a bit of a scary thing, too, because if you think about it, the church was very centralized. This is the one church we're all together so we can keep really close tabs on one another. We know what's going on. But now it's becoming a decentralized. These are going out, and they're not going out as church plants with a pastor and all that stuff. He knows that these are brothers and sisters in Christ that are growing in their faith, but they're going into challenging circumstances. That is the essence of this book. This book is interesting too. Sometimes it's referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it has a real core interest in wisdom, just like the Proverbs did. And it was kind of, boy, it was a little bit circular. It's like, I thought we talked about that before. Yeah, we did talk about it before, but it's coming back up because it's important to the book of Proverbs. It's also referred to as the parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was that, that opening message that Jesus had for the people where he came together and he's just like, okay, now I'm going to tell you what the coming kingdom is going to look like. And so he references things they would have known, commands they would have heard, and then he qualifies by saying, but I'm telling you to live your life this way. Yes, you've heard it said to do this, but I say if you don't do this, then you've, you've missed the command. So that's this kind of letter. Not a theological defense, but it's more an expectation of when you hear me talking about these principles, these things, you are going to act on them. You're going to live these things out. So the first thing that he starts with after he greets them, he gets into uh, verse 2. So verses 2 to 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James' heart for these people, they'd be mature and complete followers of Jesus Christ. That they would be fully developed followers of Christ. Now, he doesn't itemize everything. We're going to see he gives them some examples. But he gives them the big category of saying, it's inevitable. You're going to hit trials. You're going to hit circumstances. You might be sitting here right now and saying, hey, those sound like ancient words, but this past week I went through, I can tell you about a trial or a testing or something that just really pushed me farther than I wanted to go. And that's, that's just overwhelming in my mind right now. This is what James was saying. As you head out, I don't actually know every little thing you're going to encounter, but I guarantee you it will try you, it will test you, and it will want to stunt your maturity in Christ. That's what it'll want to do. I'm calling you to something different. You know, it's interesting. James starts us out, consider it pure joy. He says, that's not my natural response. I don't know about you. But my natural response, if somebody says, hey, we are going to put you in a trying situation. We're really going to test you out. It's like, hey, hey, wait, I don't know that I signed up for that. But James says, this should be your response. 
it's challenging for us to think, well, I can't think of one of those situations where I would encounter and say, boy, really glad this is happening to me. I can't come up with one. But we get it. Hollywood does a great job of presenting this, right? Not in a spiritual maturity sense, but in a more, let's say, uh, in a physical sense. Hollywood does a great job of saying, and you've probably seen these movies where, oh boy, this person, they really aspired. They wanted to be the champion of this particular thing, but they were just you know, downtrodden. They were the underdog. They were beaten. And so they keep showing you the scenes. Oh, this person's in a dark, dingy, dingy basement. They're doing push-ups and they're, they're doing pull-ups and they're lifting heavy things and they're really developing their body. They're, they're going out to run or they're eating wild stuff that, okay, this is going to help you really grow or whatever, you know. Hollywood does a great job, and then they celebrate, oh, all of a sudden, boom, there they are. They are the champion. They persevered, you know. I would say in my, in my era, it would probably would have been the movies Rocky, you know, those kind of things. Those, I know some of you are like, what was he even talking about? Nowadays, it might be something like Creed, I don't know. But those are the kinds of things of saying, oh, that, that's what it is. Because when they looked at those athletes, those individuals, those people were very glad to be training and developing because they had a perspective that something over there is really the thing that's important to me. I don't mind sacrificing some of my freedom or, or straining my body or, extra, or, or putting restrictions on my diet because I know that's the more important piece. That's the more important thing, and I, I want to be there. We see it all the time with elite athletes, whether it's Olympics or professional sports. These athletes, it's like, wow, they've adopted a crazy lifestyle, a crazy training regimen, just so that they can be the best at that particular sport. That's the kind of mentality that James is expecting to these people. So he's saying, you know, in one sense, consider it pure joy that you are in a category to where you can be developed to be that kind of an individual. Consider it that kind of joy that, man, this is strengthening you. This is developing you. And encourage one another as this goes on that we'll see in a little bit later. The hope is that through all that, you become mature and complete. Now, mature and complete, so that's not like, okay, that's a static state. Boy, it's just done. There you go. Now you, you've attained that. Now you can go on with the rest of life. No, this is good. The language he's using here is this ongoing, continual, maturing process, complete in the sense that in every aspect of our spiritual lives, we're able to give those things over to this process, and maturing in the sense that we want to continue growing, continue developing. We want to continue maturing in what he's called them to. It's a fascinating thing. Here, they, they often refer, reference this as the golden ladder of development. You know, trials, testing, um, perseverance, perseverance so that you become mature and complete. In other passages of Scripture, it uses that same ladder, that same sequence of if we want to become mature in our faith, if we want to grow in our faith, it is going to require testing circumstances because just left to its own, it's not going to happen. Just left to its own, we're not going to say, wow, I really wish I could develop more patience or more generosity or whatever, and it just happens. No, we typically will encounter circumstances that demand that of us, and it grows those muscles, those spiritual muscles. If James were to kind of put a, an underscore on, so what, what is it, this mature and complete, if you're going to 
realize these trying circumstances and it's going to drive me to a mature and complete? What is that mindset that James would have expected these people to have? Simply stated, it would have been the ability to trust God, regardless of the circumstances. I know that sounds very simple, right? That sounds like, dude, I, okay, I've been a Christian a long time. That's, you're not introducing anything new. What's really interesting is that this, this was exactly the approach that Satan took at the fall. God cannot be trusted. You can't trust him. Surely he's holding something back from you. There's something really good about those trees, about that. So I don't think you should trust God. He can't be trusted. James is saying much of the same thing. And we'll see as we go through the rest of the book here that God can be trusted. Regardless of the circumstances, God can be trusted. And ironically, often in the worst circumstances, he can be trusted the most because he's working on your behalf so that he might be glorified through you in the midst of whatever difficult circumstances you're finding. I'm very thankful, though, that James says these words, but. I mean, this is what he, he wants. I want you to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And it's almost as if he says, okay, I know we're not all there yet. We're not all there. And I would raise my hand quickly. We're not all there. Thankfully, James says, if there is any of you that lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. James knew that the natural response is not to, oh, embrace these joys and say, wow, boy, this is making me mature and complete. He knew we'd have challenges. So he says, you can ask God because wisdom is, that's the thing that you're missing. If you had the wisdom, this kingdom wisdom, this ability that God can be trusted, then that will fuel your ability to become mature and complete in the midst of trying circumstances. That's what James' expectation was. That look, you may have a weak understanding. You may have, what would you call, elementary wisdom. You can ask for more. You can lean into God. He's not going to smack your hands. He's not going to say, boy, you should have learned that long ago. And therefore, no, that's past, so you're on to other lessons. That's not going to happen with God. James is saying, when you come to that point and you're realizing, I just, I can't see my way through this circumstance. The, the challenges are a little more than what I want to take on. James is saying, in those times, lean into God. Lean into Him and ask Him for the wisdom that will help you view those circumstances differently. Then you are on the route to maturing, to becoming a more complete follower of Jesus Christ if you lean into Him in that way. This idea of wisdom keeps coming around in James. There's other places where it pops up. We can't go in depth to it. But in, in James chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Also, he goes on in, in a different place. We won't get into it, but he, he really lays out the different kinds of wisdom. He says, this is earthly wisdom. This is not what I'm calling you to. This is the kind of wisdom I'm calling you to. Wisdom that will be demonstrated in your life. He does qualify it, though. He qualifies in, in this first chapter. He says, well, wait a minute, if you ask, okay, the door's wide open. You can go to God, you can ask. But if you're going to ask, do not, how does he say it here in verse 6? 
But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think he'd receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all he does. The word doubt there is actually dispute. Right? James says, don't come and ask God, but all the time in your mind, you're willing to dispute the wisdom that God gives you. You're going to say, yeah, okay, I, I see, God, you say that I should be focused on this, but you know what? That doesn't stack up with this other way of wisdom, this earthly wisdom. It doesn't stack up with that. James says, there's no place for it. <clears throat> if you're going to come, you need to come fully committed to him, fully committed to acting on the wisdom that he gives you and not coming in ready and willing to dispute the wisdom that God shows you. That's what his encouragement is here. <clears throat> he goes on also a little bit later to say that earthly wisdom, that's going to be prevalent in your society, but that is not the kind of wisdom that God is going to call you to. That's not the kind of wisdom that should be demonstrated in your community. This kingdom wisdom is the wisdom you should be living by. It's much the same. Remember we said, James, the whole book is kind of written in the language of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's fascinating. James only mentions Jesus Christ two times in this book. But yet, all of the language, if you were to sit down and read the Sermon on the Mount and then pick up and read this letter of James, you'd be like, wow, that almost sounds like the same author. This, book, this letter of James is just layered with the words of Jesus, with the approach that Jesus had. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, when he first gets to the people, he says, I want to tell you what the kingdom is going to be like. The kingdom of heaven, when it comes, it's going to be like this. And you can be living it out now. He concludes that Sermon on the Mount with the famous uh, illustration. I'm sure, uh, depending on your age and where you're at, you probably even sang songs about this illustration in Sunday school. It talks about the wise man built his house on the rock, the wise man. Probably some of you even know the motions, right? There were motions for the advanced class. You got those. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And why was Jesus using that illustration? Because he said, this sermon on the mount that I've just spoken to you, if you hear these words, and if you live according to these words, you're like that wise man that built his house on the rock. But if you hear these words and you continue to live your life like you've always lived it, disregarding these words, you're like the man who built his house on the sand. And I can tell you a storm is coming. That's what Jesus was saying when he told the Sermon on the Mount, that that wisdom, that kingdom wisdom was the core point for it. That's what James is saying. This kingdom wisdom, as you go through life and as you encounter these different topics, these different challenges, these different circumstances, that kingdom wisdom is the thing that allows you to engage them in a spiritually mature way. Now, James, he goes on to talk about all kinds of different topics in this book, and we're not, we're not going to take the time to look at each one of those, but you know, I guarantee you, you're already familiar with them. He talks about how do we use our language, how do we use our tongue, how do we use our finances, how do we use our time, how do we treat one another, are we, do we show favoritism, are we impartial? Those, those are really interesting and everyday opportunities that James knew. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple examples. I'm telling you right here that the only way to become spiritually mature is to have kingdom wisdom. And you can ask God for that kingdom wisdom. That's what it is. It's going to show up all over the place. 
And I can almost hear James, like if you're in a conversation, like I don't have time to go into absolutely every point of application for this kingdom wisdom. Here's a couple of real easy off the top. Because I know before you even get out of this building, more than likely you'll have a chance. One of these topics is going to hit you. So as you go into life from here, James would be saying, these topics need kingdom wisdom. Here's what that would look like if you were to apply it. Or, and I'm sure, you say, or look back at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus told the people. That is what kingdom wisdom looks like. So, this base knowledge that you have has got to translate into life-changing wisdom. Because just this knowledge alone isn't going to help you. As a matter of fact, James approaches this subject in James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. He is saying it's undividable. You can't say, well, I believe this way, but I act this way. Now, some would say, and you know, over the, over the years, the, the church, actually, even Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a real struggle, a real problem with the book of James because of these verses. But these verses do not compromise faith. He was writing, James was writing to, he knew these people were followers of Jesus Christ. They had already made that decision. Their faith was firm. Their faith was committed. Now he's writing to them saying, as an evidence of that faith, I'm not sending this to you and say, look, if you just start living this way, then you will work yourself backwards. You're going to reverse engineer to where you now become, that faith saves you. James would have said that's ludicrous. I don't even know how you would get to that. He's saying he, he but some people have looked at it and say, oh, so if I, if I just discipline myself to behave a certain way, that's going to guarantee a salvation for me? It's backwards. It's the other way around. He's saying your faith if it's genuine faith, if it's genuine belief, it will demonstrate itself. It's impossible. It will have to demonstrate itself if you live it out. Just knowledge alone, just faith alone is not going to get you there. He even follows these verses by saying it's the part where James says, you know, you believe that there's one God. Great. Good, good for you. That's, that's pretty important. It's pretty essential. But he said, you know, the demons also believe this and tremble. So, really, whoop de do. You believe something that's pretty evident, pretty obvious to everybody, but your life has to reflect you've genuinely embraced it. It's genuinely made a difference in your life. That's the kind of kingdom wisdom that James was, ex James was expecting these followers of Jesus Christ to live on. Now, it was unmistakable, right? James is calling out these followers to a maturity. It's an unmistakable expectation that he had, you should be maturing and becoming complete in Christ. Now, think about it. These were people that were driven from their homes because they followed after Christ. I'm like, wow, that's, that's so far from my mind. I cannot imagine that. But James is saying, well, that's, that's not enough. You need to be living the rest of your life, every day of your life, as a demonstration of that wisdom that you hold that God can be trusted. That's the expectation. He gives them all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of examples of what that might look like. You know, for some, as you, if you were to read through the book of James, it becomes a little bit of an uncomfortable book. 
Because of the 108 verses, 59 of those verses contain a command with the expectation of this is what it would be like for you to be living a mature life so that when you get into these kind of circumstances or situations, this is the way you would live. It can become a little uncomfortable. But James is saying, don't shy away from that. When you get those and it's like, "Mm, this boy, man, this is really stretching me. What did he say to do? Lean into God. Ask God. He will help you in growing that wisdom, that perspective, that what I am seeing on this earthly realm, on this earthly plane, is not the end of the story. So how does that relate? How does it relate that my understanding that God can be trusted regardless of any circumstance. How does that translate to the way that I speak to other people or the way that I use my finances or the way that I um, treat other people? It's like this. You know, in the part back there where there were two wisdoms in the book of James, there were two kinds of wisdom. He was saying the earthly wisdom and the kingdom wisdom. The earthly wisdom, one of the defining characteristics he had in there of the different behaviors, he said, but it's driven by selfish ambition. That's, that's the essence of earthly wisdom. I have to look after my own interests. I have to look after myself. I have to take care of myself. And boy, if I get into a conversation or if I get into something that's going to, hey, I don't like that, then I got to stand up for myself. James was saying, selfish ambition has no place in the Christian life. And we can rest in that because we trust that God has every circumstance of my life orchestrated. God is at work in every circumstance of my life. Therefore, we can trust him and behave differently. So in brief, in closing, three things that we can do that will help us if we want to have this kind of a mature and complete life, spiritual life that James is talking about. Number one is to realize that the kingdom wisdom that James is calling us to and what Christ called his people to is opposite of earthly wisdom. Don't expect the two to match up. Don't expect, oh boy, if I have a full understanding of this one, then this other one will make sense. Not going to happen. Kingdom wisdom and earthly wisdom are opposed to one another. So be very comfortable embracing the fact that I do not know everything I need to know But God does, and God has every circumstance under control. It's God inviting. This kind of a mature, complete lifestyle is God inviting. So when I come across those places where it's like, oh, man, I wish I could behave differently. I wish I could see this differently. My initial response needs to be inviting God into that circumstance. Say, Father, through the Holy Spirit, help me to see this differently so that I can behave like your son or your daughter differently. Help me in the midst of this. Not avoiding it and not feeling like, you know what, I just need to do a whole lot more self-improvement and I can get myself to those places. It's not going to happen. And the last thing I would say that we need to consider when we are doing this is to realize that James was writing to a community. Yes, they were scattered. Yes, they were sent out. They had gone from a very close-knit community being scattered. But James still had the expectation that they would live out their lives in a community-embracing way. And how do I know that? I know it because the very last verses of this, cha- of this letter, James ends it off by saying, okay, I've given you all this stuff. Here you go. This, this mindset, mature and complete, all these examples, 
expectations. And I'm closing it off by saying, if someone turns a brother from the error of their ways and brings them back to the faith, that doesn't happen outside of community. Right? I mean, I guess it could inauthentically happen if I just not knowing you at all just walk up and say, hey, you know, I just saw what you did and I don't think that's like, that wouldn't be behaving like Christ. That certainly doesn't have kingdom wisdom. In it. You'd be like, well, who are you? What's going on? And I would do the same thing. I'd say, who invited you into this? But according to James, when we have the kind of relationship where we can treat one another as like brothers and sisters, then we can hold one another accountable. And that's echoed throughout the rest of Scripture. That you won't find it that says living a Christian life, becoming mature and complete, is a solo project. You can go it alone and you can get there. It's just nowhere in Scripture. The expectation is that we would be doing this in community and encourage one another. So that's my prayer for you and for me. That as we go from this place, that we will continue to remember that there is a kingdom wisdom that's opposed to earthly wisdom. That God has opened the door for us to invite him in when we're struggling with understanding the difference and to depend on one another, to encourage one another as we try to strive towards this mature and complete spiritual wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time that we could come together freely this morning to look at your word and to consider how we might be different because you are working on us. Because you are using us to demonstrate yourself to the world that's around us. So Father, I pray that as we go from this place this morning, that you might continue to draw our words back to this letter of James and the encouragements and the challenges that he had for the people of that day and that we might live it out in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.